many, many years ago when I didn't even know what Tantra was. I was involved with this beautiful, very passionate, tear-your-clothes-off, lovemaking kind of Colombian man. And in this lovemaking was one beautiful spring morning. The lovemaking was so intense and so primal that there was no resistance left in my body. I was completely open. And in that moment, I saw something looking through his eyes. And it was something so beautiful that I knew that I had met this lover through many times and many lifetimes in many dimensions. But I didn't know what to call him because I was a Methodist from Tennessee. I had no, no framework for this. In that moment, I felt rise up and look through my eyes into his, his eternal lover. So in our bodies, Shiva and Shakti met. And this is called, I've later learned many years later, the Samketa, it's the promise. When lovers unite and they're fully present in this way, Shiva and Shakti will appear. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrop. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. Well, I am thrilled to welcome on this week's show, Dawn Cartwright. Dawn is a sex and intimacy coach and a neo-tantra visionary. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you so much for having me, Luke. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm thrilled to have you. So maybe a good place to start is just at the most fundamental level. What is neo-tantra? Neo-tantra is amazing, number one, because it's focusing on sex and relationship and intimacy, and it has all these elements of this ancient path of Tantra, you know, kind of infusing these ways for us to connect as deeply as we're sort of longing to. You know, I think everybody has this desire to get beneath the surface with each other, to experience more pleasure in sex, but not just that, to, you know, what I call, you know, bring more love into the lovemaking. And Neo-Tantra teaches us very specific tools to do that. Amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's practices. It's essentially practices and tools that bring us into deeper states of union and love with, with our partner. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. So I had a chance to practice with you and be in one of your events. Boy, it was about two years ago, right? Like right at the peak of the pandemic. I remember being on your rooftop in LA overlooking some of the studios in the background. And it was this very bizarre time because it was just when things were kind of almost starting to open up. And I just remember being for myself, just being in a place of like, just feeling over, over the pandemic, isolated, lack of physical touch, and just feeling a bit kind of starved for, for something meaningful, right? And a friend and I came to your program, and my goodness, was that the medicine I needed in that, in that moment to just go really, really deep into practicing being in communion with the person in front of us in a deep and nourishing way. Mm. So, I mean, I'd love to just 
hear a little bit from you and maybe have a bit of a conversation about how is it possible to go from feeling kind of isolated and 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 shut down to a place of like really deep connection in just you know a matter of a day or two i love how you put that and i loved getting to witness that happening for you you know we are social beings and we're meant to be close to one another. And the pandemic, like you said, it really shut us away and shut us down. And when that happens, a lot of the circuitry in our body begins to just kind of go into like a sort of a, a neutral or almost it goes into sub-zero. And the neo-tantra practices are designed to specifically wake up our sexual circuitry. And what this means is that the circuitry is already there, but it's just not being illuminated. And so when people come to me and they're, they're wondering, like in the workshop, how do we go from we're all strangers when we start Saturday morning and by Sunday we feel like this big happy family. And it <laughs> happens because what we've done is that we've resensitized ourselves in a very ecstatic, positive way. Our sexual energy is, it's the core of our being. It is our aliveness. But when we're stressed, it's the first thing that shuts down. And that creates inside of us a feeling of sadness sometimes and longing and disorientation. So these practices to wake up the pelvis, to wake up what I call the ecstatic superhighway, which is our spine, to learn ways of being fully rooted in who we are and open to the discovery of another is all this body needs. It's the medicine. And it's the medicine that then unlocks the beauty of every single human. You know, when we walk around and we're, we have on our neo-tantra lens because we've you know, just really woken up the energy, we start to see the radiance in every person and we magnetize it. And that's what happens in the weekend. We're literally opening up energy pathways, nadis in the body so that we are breathing more. Our eyes are brighter. We're more available. Our heart is softer and we're also stronger and more confident. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of these experiences, these very rare special experiences that, you know, some of us, not everyone is blessed to have where you, you walk out and like the colors are brighter and, and the smells are a bit richer and the, there's like a pause when you greet someone else's eyes to just really kind of, you know, really take in their essence. There's this way in which these practices crack open sense of like a sensitivity in us that just makes life so much richer right so of course it's it's based in sexuality and 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 opening the sexual body but for me it's always so much more than just sex in its classic sense it's like uh, opening up the sensation so that we're really kind of making love with the world around us in a deeper way. Yeah. Yeah. You said that abs. I love how you put that because a lot of people will tell me, they'll say, Dawn, Tantra isn't just about sex. And I go, that's because you've never really had sex. Sex <laughs> is so much bigger. It's not just intercourse. It's this way of being alive and in tune with everything that's happening around us. And it's coming from a place of incredible self-satisfaction. We think of sex as being desire and longing and hunger and grasping, right? Like, I want it. I haven't had it. I need it. And what Tantra does is it fills up the cup. So then we're really ready to play. 
we're really ready to have very deep, meaningful interactions free of need and free of grasping. And like you said, too, the colors are brighter. It's like we take away all this, like these filters that we have between us and life that keep us kind of safe. We don't need, you know, we can actually be more exposed to life and see just how incredibly exquisite and beautiful this world and every human being is. And that's a big turn on. And to your point, it's a turn on that isn't just genital. It's like a full being, omni sort of, ooh, what's next? How do we collaborate like on all these unseen levels, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's such, yeah, such an enlivening way to be, right? I think it'd be helpful to just, to just start this conversation, understand like what are some of these practices? You talked about kind of opening the pelvis and, you know, I know there's so much work about breath and an opening up that, that center column or the inner flute, as we call it, from basically the, the genitals up the middle of the body through the throat. And I think it would be helpful just to hear from you a little bit about like what are some of the most kind of fundamental practices that we that we can do that will start to, to uh, activate in the way that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. These practices are extremely simple. And the practices I learned 30 years ago when I first met my Tantra teacher are the same practices that I'm practicing today and they just keep getting deeper. You know, and I just want to say I love the name of your podcast, Crazy Wisdom, because this practice, it's it's kind of related in that it's about rewilding. It's about becoming wild again, which means becoming natural again. So what we're doing when we do these practices, like the first one that we do in the weekend is a breathwork practice. And we learn how to connect with ecstatic energy in our body. We all have it. I encourage all the Listeners, to tune in right now. Can you feel a little flicker of a flame of your own sexual arousal that's already there? These practices, the breathwork practice that we teach in Be Fully Alive, is teaching us how to expand and intensify and spread that feeling of arousal through the whole body. What that does is it brings a beautiful balance into our sexual energy so that it's not just genital, which is procreate, procreate, I gotta have it comes into love, it comes into brilliance and radiance and creativity and insight and wisdom and the spiritual realms, like learning how to access our ecstatic energy using the breath. That's one of the first practices and bring it into the full body lights us up with sexual energy that is again, very magnetic and very nourishing and very healing. Then we go into practices where we're really looking at, you know, how did we come to be who we are as lovers? And what is love and sex and arousal anyway? So we do some guided meditation. We really check out inside and see what is our imprint of ecstasy. And then through that, you know, really claiming that. And it's a beautiful moment. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of breaking open in that moment of really realizing and claiming my sexuality isn't what necessarily what's in the media. It's something else. And it's so big and it's so deep and it's so rich. And we access that through the guided meditations. We also do a partner practice where we learn to channel this energy 
through the kundalini channels, you know, through the chakras, for those of you who are familiar with maybe some yoga. And we learn to share that with a partner. So then we're balancing our sexual energy and amplifying it and, and just like opening to it in a shared experience with another person. And then, you know, the cherry on top at the end of the weekend is where we enter into this beautiful honoring ceremony. And we put together this beautiful platter of sensual, sensory awakening treats. This is kind of a secret. Don't want to give too much away. (laughs) And there's a beautiful ceremony that we do that is, it's really like heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. We get to experience what sex and love is when we take it out of the, the Western, you know, you know, linear, everything's about having an orgasm. And it's really about communion and and union. And we Mm. have a little taste of that. Yeah. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you for this. You took me back to this beautiful journey I went on with you. And um, I think the listeners can feel kind of the, both the the complexity and the depth of what that experience might be. You know, one of the themes that, that I hear in this is this idea of moving kind of lovemaking in sex out of just pure kind of base level genital lovemaking. And, you know, as a man, this often means there's practices about moving sexual energy, circulating it through the body to begin to, to um, separate orgasmic states from ejaculation, right? And this is like one of the, the, one of the ways this shows up. And I know it's, you know, there's, there's women have their own practices about, you have your own practices about moving energy, basically building energy so that it's not just about kind of the immediate instantaneous getting off. And when we can do that, mm-hmm. oh my God, how much more alive um, our lovemaking can be, how much more alive our life can be, how much more open we can, we, you know, our hearts can be and our minds can be when we're able to deepen and extend, you know, our lovemaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the core, like sort of the core pieces of the neo-tantra practice is being able to extend our lovemaking because the longer we spend having that, uh, like surge, it's not a surge because it becomes like something that's just our baseline, but these surges of sexual energy, of ecstatic energy, different parts of the brain will begin to light up. And in fact, the highest ecstatic states, the entire brain lights up. So we're then in flow state. We're then in masterful mind. We're in a different state of being. So then our lovemaking becomes something completely different. And we've all had a taste of that possibility, but we don't really necessarily know how to open the door to get into that state. And these practices will teach us to do that. For a man, you know, I'm glad that you spoke about the difference. I call it like the fork in the road between ejaculation and orgasm. And and what happens typically for many men in sex is that the the experience is so pleasurable and so intense that the mind is kind of overwhelmed. And there's not that sensitivity of seeing when the orgasm begins, because the orgasm actually begins before the ejaculation. I'm going to encourage men to start to watch that. And they can then choose to relax the ejaculation reflex and go into orgasm without ejaculation. 
the benefit to this is that the man is now holding in his body more ecstatic energy rather than releasing it. So he's now accessing higher and higher states. His body is getting irrigated with this incredible life force energy. And in that, he begins to have an understanding of his partner, where that partner is a man or a woman, that goes beyond just the temporal. He starts to experience him or her on a more um, like expansive level. Now, for women, there's a mirror practice, and this is not taught very often. This is more advanced, it's something that I teach in my private session work, where a woman is also, or a man, the partner is also circulating, circulating the energy and creating a reservoir so that there's then support for the partner to go into orgasm without ejaculation because so much space has been created by the other partner. So it's it's one it's this wonderful like orchestra that we create together and we allow ourselves to access higher and more expanded states of consciousness that many people these days might be accessing through medicine journeys and experiences like that in this your sexual energy is your ecstatic source and it really does it starts to expand consciousness like the brain will actually change yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's so so much richness in this. Just to the last point, you know, these moments that I've had around these like deep, deep, deep lovemaking in the way that you're describing, all sorts of beautiful, intense things can occur. I, I've seen like all the different faces of the goddess appear in my lover in front of me, you know, and feeling such ecstatic uh, pleasure through my body that ripples and ripples for you know, minutes and minutes and an hour at a time without ejaculation. And that that, my goodness, how much that can both heal and expand our way of being in the world. Uh, it's a, it's a, such a powerful practice. Yeah. And it probably even changes how you interact in your work. You know, the, I think too, taught to believe that sex is for pleasure and it ends there. The thing is, pleasure then expands into how we're communing with our clients, with the world, mm -hmm. you know, with how the world is. It creates an intimacy with all things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's this kind of concept out there about like, what does a well-fucked human look like? How, like a well-fucked human is interacting with the world in a different way, right? That when we are in these deep states of orgasm and bliss and deeply nourished, how much more we have to give, how much more we can live in our heart. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's certainly been my, my experience. So I want to go to specifically around this, back to this point about non-ejaculatory orgasms for men. Maybe we can just go there for a moment. And, you know, can you help the listeners understand like what are the almost like the mechanics of that right so part of this is circular breathing part of this is you know awareness of the pc muscle and being able to bounce energy like if you were to just give the basics of how a man might begin to practice um, expanding his love making beyond just the move towards ejaculation getting out of that habit where might you start with them yeah, this is a great question. I think it's a, a really beneficial practice for all men um, to have this ability. And then, so what a man can do initially is have his own self-pleasuring practice. 
So for a man to set aside time where he's pleasuring himself, he's masturbating, he's bringing the pleasure up, and he's, some people call edging, he's allowing himself to come close to orgasm, ejaculation, whatever he knows that to be, but he doesn't go over the edge. So he'll allow himself, he'll stroke himself, he'll he'll touch himself in all the ways that that normally bring him pleasure, maybe expanding that repertoire a little bit. And then he's relaxing the deep belly and bringing breath down into the pelvic diaphragm. A lot of times we're breathing, we want to expand the chest or expand the belly, but this is actually feeling the breath move down into the pelvic diaphragm so that we're creating some softness and some fluidity in the pelvic floor. We often think that premature ejaculation, which is any time a man ejaculates before he wants to, whether that's after an hour or after two minutes, just premature is before. The man didn't make a conscious decision. It happened for him, right? That actually is happening due to tension in the pelvic floor. People think it's because they didn't tighten up enough. They needed to tighten up to stop it, but it's actually the tension that sort of sets that emotion. So We learn how to do kegels for men, so these internal yogas with the pelvic floor, and the man can become very articulate. His pelvic floor also becomes like a hand, you know, he can move and and he can, and then in that he's more sensitive to the nuances as he moves toward orgasm. He moves toward that state of fullness that then sort of spills over. And in that, what he wants to do is relax and feel more. Typically, guys start thinking about baseball, right? Because they don't <laughs> want to come. This is this is kind of like the, the uh, colloquial wisdom around it. You know, think about baseball. No, what you want to do is actually feel your sexual energy more so that you can start to ride the waves. Because just as you said, that rippling through the body, the orgasm isn't meant to be an exclamation point on the end of a short sentence. It's meant to be an ellipse. So then he starts to feel this rolling of ecstasy. And it's test then for a man and for a woman. How much can you really open to? How courageous are you? How much of life and ecstasy? Because ecstasy is all things. It's the most ecstatic, beautiful, you know, pleasurable experiences. And it's the most terrifying, the most grief-stricken experiences too. It's enveloping all of life. And in his practice, as he's opening to his own energy and allowing it to manifest in his body, he as a man is now confronting greater and greater stages of being a man and being human. So it's a it's a two, it's a spiritual practice, it's an emotional practice and a physical practice. But basically bringing yourself near to orgasm, relaxing the pelvic floor, doing the kegels, those pelvic floor pulsations, breathing down deep to the pelvis and start to notice when the orgasm begins and breathe directly into that sensation and commit yourself to it so that you can start to feel how the orgasm is now starting to happen and you don't have to give in to the contractions. You don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's so helpful. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think we can all just feel the the wisdom in this. So, I think for me this journey that's been a I don't know at this point a couple of decades journey around this practice, there's a rewiring that has to happen, right? Especially most of us are not taught this when we first start ejaculating. And there's a 
there are kind of neural pathways that are pretty rooted around, you know, sex and masturbation moving immediately to ejaculation. So there's like this massive unwinding that needs to happen. And this is this is where this really is a practice because you have, in order to rewire how we experience, how our nervous system experiences pleasure, we have to cut some new kind of grooves around this. And it, these types of orgasms, they feel different. Like it's, it's a markedly different experience of moving towards ejaculation, right? There's um, the quality is much more of like a rippling wave and kind of uh, uh, it's so decentralized. It's not. It's not so based in the genitals. It requires a level of pace that's much slower. It's like really slowing down and being able to slow our partner down. And so, you know, I've always experienced this as like, this is like high level kind of Jedi training <laughs> because there's a lot of past history and habits about kind of the monkey fucking that has to get <laughs> un unraveled, right? And um, so I just, I offer that because this is like mistakes will be made. It's not to say that like, you know, you don't ever ejaculate. You can choose then when you want to ejaculate and have that type of orgasm, but it, it requires like a high level of kind of commitment to to not just go to the habit place, right? Yeah, and I liked what you said. It's it's more about having an internal experience as opposed to that external, blah, you know, express it out kind of orgasm. It's more of an internal and an allowing. It's an opening to as opposed to projecting out. And there's something so beautiful about that in lovemaking right? That yeah, opening absolutely. too, right? And it does require practice. And absolutely, ejaculation is a beautiful, beautiful experience. It's not an either or, it's an and. You can choose. And then when you choose to ejaculate, you can also choose to do that as an offering, you know, an offering to your partner and, and it be like just fully conscious. Because a lot of the programming around one of the reasons men will tend to ejaculate quickly was because they needed to hurry up and, and self-pleasure before the mom knocked on the door or dinner was ready or whatever it was. So they've become so, like to your point, the brain has become so habituated to that, that creating these new pathways can sometimes feel really daunting and exhausting, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and yet the benefits are so worth it. Yeah. You know, it's so worth it. Well, there's also kind of a biological evolutionary drive to procreate and to do that kind of quickly, right? To to not be interrupted and to inseminate quickly. There's this, there is an evolutionary piece to this as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to get like super practical, this is kind of, I mean, it's while bizarre, this is one of the most useful practices I've come across around this, which is to set a timer, to set a timer and say, I'm, you know, in, in self-pleasure, uh, you know, I will I will self pleasure for thirty minutes or forty five minutes, and I will not ejaculate in that entire time. And then I will like there's some other things we can do to like come down afterwards and kind of deal with the blue balls, but to like you know make it a time box so that we're committed to like extending our capacity to feel pleasure over time, and then not have the ejaculation at the end. So I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Do you yeah. want to share with the men some of the ways that you deal with blue balls? I'm sure they'd love to hear that. <laughs> sure, sure. I'd love to hear your your tips on this as well. So there's a few things. There's like uh, obviously the PC squeeze. So squeezing 
basically the muscle that we stop ourselves from peeing, right? If we can pump that, it moves energy and kind of blood flow through the body. You can actually take your finger and press into your perineum and touch your prostate basically mm. in your taint, right? So you can just like pump physically with your hand, which which moves kind of the blood flow out of the prostate and brings brings the energy down. You can also use this, by the way, in lovemaking. If you feel like you're getting close and you want to stop, you can actually just kind of reach around and press your prostate kind of through the, the place between your balls and your anus, right? And this is a way to just uh, kind of deescalate. And then there's all sorts of like more mental tricks about circular breathing, moving energy, imagining energy moving through your whole body uh, and kind of feeling out. So there's a thing about plate placing our attention less on our internal experience and placing it out, whether it's through imagination or the world around us or the room or the earth. Mm -hmm. um, so those are a few that I use. I'm curious if there's anything else you would, you would add. I love it. I love all of those. I would say yes to all of those. And I, I think that absolutely having some like internal massage to get the circulation moving, because when we have blue balls, it, it, it's stagnation, right? Things are not moving. So if we can have that internal you know, the kegels and the, and the also, like you said, the outer massage of the perineum. And then too, with the neotantric practice, learning to circulate our sexual energy, there's specific ways of doing that. We could use the microcosmic orbit, or we can use the, you know, opening the inner flute so that that energy then is circulating and expanding. It's covering more surface area and it's flowing as opposed to becoming stagnant. And so that's one of the practices that I would use most often is to bring the energy by breathing it up through the body, out of the body, into the space around, expanding into the space, and then breathe it back into the sex. So there's then not that feeling of things feeling contracted. There's actually a feeling of release, which is going to really help with um, circulation in the testicles and the pelvis. Yeah. Them. One of my favorite meditations, of course, which is exactly as you described, breathing all of the pleasure up the center of the body and then imagining it's kind of like a opening up as like a flower that just then showers down the energy from the top of your head. And it's, it's like giving yourself the most nourishing bath you could imagine. Or it shower. really is. Yeah. It like, really, really is. Like standing clears, under a waterfall. Yeah. It clears the body energetically. Yeah. It actually really, really does do that. Yeah. I feel that. Okay. So let's go to the women's side of this, which is, you know, I, I get curious about like, there's, there's different types of orgasm, right. In, in the female body. And part of these neotantric practices is to move into deeper states of orgasm in, in a women's, a woman's body. So mm -hmm. perhaps you could just maybe describe to us the different types of orgasms, the different areas that that happens and mm -hmm. some practices that, that help deepen orgasm for women? I think I love my teacher's definition. You know, she said there are as many different kinds of orgasm as there are stars in the sky. So, you know, we, we're very familiar with clitoral orgasm or G-spot orgasm or A-spot orgasm or, you know, cervical orgasm. We also orgasm 
in our breasts. We orgasm in our lips. We can orgasm, have a heart orgasm, a third eye orgasm. Like it's really, really not limited. And I think it's letting go of looking for that one kind of release that we know the rabbit vibrator can get us to. It's reliable, you know, to sort of, again, to be courageous and to feel the parts of the body that are actually aching to express in that way, that showering of ecstatic energy, like you said, that can happen. And so for a woman, one of the things that I find is most useful, all the things we talked about for the man, doing the kegels, doing the breath work, doing the exploration of who she is as a sexual being outside of the sort of frame that society might have put her in, but then also de-armoring. I feel like de-armoring is key. It's key for men and especially for women. You know, as women, women take the take their partner in typically. You know, some women do not have penetrative sex. Many women do have penetrative sex. So they're taking in. And also when you go to the gynecologist, you're taking in. And so there can be inside the body, you know, these places of tension and armoring, these places where, you know, having a breakup bad breakup with your best lover ever, those things as the body holds those memories. And so for a woman to learn these very gentle ways of releasing that protection that she needed, that she no longer needs. And what I found with women who experience this kind of work, it's really, really, it's, it's mind-blowing how resilient a woman's body is. Because after one session of having conscious pressure point de-armoring, a woman can feel sensations again that she hasn't felt maybe ever. There's a new sensitivity. There's a new deepening. There's a realization of the G-spot complex, which is really the entire clitoris, which is really such, you know, did you know that the clitoris, the full, the full clitoris is the same size and weight as the penis? It's just in different parts, the urethral sponge, the vestibular bulbs, you know, the crue, like all these different parts. And so when a woman becomes, has this fascia and these tissues of the pelvis sort of made fluid again, she has access to orgasm that can happen through very deep penetration, right? Or through lots of women love like the introitus, like the very opening, like there's like a really beautiful spot toward the back. She can really enjoy there and have orgasm there. And even a vulva, vulva, you know, a vulva orgasm is so delicious. When I work with women, you know, what they say, you know, they usually say, could you teach my husband this? Because <laughs> it's a lot of focus on everything building up. Like, the whole belly and loving her woman belly and loving her heart and touching and waking up the entire body, the inner thighs, you know, she just starts to like blossom. And, and then the vulva, like really letting them pump up these beautiful, like pleasure pillows. And, and then, and then in that, the woman begins to really trust um, penetration. And she begins to activate um, a beautiful longing that is a gift to her lover because it's calling forth something in him or her. It actually is, it's a, it's a beckoning for a deepening in the partner. 
But when a woman is guarded, and I've yet to meet a woman who wasn't a little bit guarded, even me, we all every day, you know, things happen. But when we're practicing this de-armoring, either with a practitioner or with ourselves, there's a resilience and a beauty and a generosity in our lovemaking. And then a woman's orgasm is actually like, it becomes less and less event oriented. It becomes more and more just a state of being and allowing allowing it to sort of light up in all these different palms of her hands, the soles of her feet, like all these beautiful erogenous zones, and all of them are orgasmic. So, you know, like what I find is that there's this fascination with the G spot or fascination with this or that spot. And that's fun. It's fun to do that. And I would say just like the men's practice, you know, let go of any kind of certain one thing that you want to happen and nourish the whole pelvis. Massage her buttocks. Massage right in there, right around her perineum. You know, like let let the orgasm start to wake up and then follow it as opposed to try to capture it or mm. make it happen. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so juicy. Yum. What is what does following an orgasm look like as opposed to trying to capture it? What is that? Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. I think when we're trying to capture an orgasm, we have in mind what we want to have happen. And sometimes that's fine. We want to release. And there's nothing wrong with that saying, babe, you got 15 minutes. I really need (laughs) to release some tension. I think that's really valid. And then there's another way where we let go of that very well-worn path to straight to the orgasm. And we start to ignite the feminine body and we begin to start to sense where her excitement is moving and we're responsive as opposed to directive. So we'll sense, you know, by the way her voice is starting to shift, we can sense, oh, a little left inside of her yoni, inside of her vagina. I can feel the spot here. And then, you know, and then you can feel her, you know, move her pelvis. And then maybe there's a little bit of a thumb across the shaft of the clitoris. So it's really like becoming like this, it's like a duet, but it's it's totally improvised so that the lover is then following how the woman's body is responding as opposed to taking her somewhere. Mm, yeah. yeah. Both are valid. Both are good. They think it's um, especially really fun to follow, mm. follow because ah, it's so unknown. Where will yeah. it take you? No. <laughs> and sometimes it can end up a woman may suddenly feel enraged or she might burst into tears or she might start laughing hysterically. And, you know, can we continue to follow that? It's like, it's like improv, you know, yes and, yes and, you know, with our body. And that requires inside the partner an incredible sensitivity and flexibility because of his or her own practice. By doing these practices ourselves, we develop that level of listening so that we can follow the ecstasy as opposed to just doing what we know works. Mm, exquisite. Wow. Um, so you're you're painting a picture of this dance, right? This dance between lovers. And in this case, maybe it's a man and a woman, although it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. There's this, there's this kind of back and forth of sensitivity and openness. And, and this is where this can be quite cosmic, these deeper states of lovemaking, where we feel 
at its essence, it's consciousness and light, Shiva and Shakti, in this dance of creation, this dance of communion. And I, you know, I'd love to just kind of hear your perspective on the more cosmic play of of depth and awareness and light and love and radiance, that kind of masculine feminine dance that can occur in these in these deep dances. Mm, I love this question. So you mentioned earlier you love stories. Can I yes. tell you a yes, couple please. of stories here? Of course. So this is the perfect moment. There is one story. There are many stories in the Hindu culture. There's one that I would love to share with you right now, and that's the story of the birth of Shiva and Shakti. So Brahma, which is the god of creation in the Hindu culture, Brahma gave birth to a beautiful, beautiful egg, birthed it out of his mouth. It was so beautiful. It was shimmering. It was effervescent. It was iridescent. It was the most beautiful egg anyone had ever seen. And Brahma felt a little jealous. He said, nothing is more beautiful than me. This can't exist. I can't have it. So he broke the egg in two. Well, the egg was Shiva and Shakti, the cosmic egg, the perfection of all ecstasies and bliss. They were in union and perfect union, and he broke them apart. Now, the moment they broke that, he broke the egg apart, Shiva and Shakti <gasps> woke up. They woke out of, out of the union. They now knew duality. They knew separation, and this intense longing took them over. Shiva went into meditation. He went deep into union in his internal meditative state. Shakti, she's a woman. <gasps> she wailed. She lamented. She, <gasps> she had to find her lover again. And she went on a journey, deep spiritual journey. Well, all of us are both of these. Everything that is Everything that is ecstasy, everything that is union, everything that is bliss is inside of us. But we've just been broken apart from it. And we're living Shakti, which is the temporal experience. But through our practice and through our lives, there are these wonderful, wonderful experiences where we get little signposts, little, you know, beckonings to experience the fullness of that union and that bliss again. So for me, Many, many years ago, when I didn't even know what Tantra was, I was involved with this beautiful, very passionate, tear your clothes off, lovemaking kind of Colombian man. And in this lovemaking was one beautiful spring morning. The lovemaking was so intense and so primal that there was no resistance left in my body. I was completely open. I was completely there and his and open. And in that moment, I saw something looking through his eyes. And it was something so beautiful that I knew that I had met this lover through many times and many lifetimes in many dimensions. But I didn't know what to call him because I was a Methodist from Tennessee. I had no, no framework for this. But I saw this. <laughs> and that's not all, Luke. In that moment, I felt rise up and look through my eyes into his, his eternal lover. Hmm. So in our bodies, Shiva and Shakti met. And this is called, I've later learned many years later, the Samketa. It's the promise. When lovers unite and they're fully present in this way, Shiva and Shakti will appear. And in that moment, everything turned backlit. 
everything was still and shimmering. I could hear the touch of our bodies, I could taste the sound of our voices. I, we had entered this nirvana that's accessible to all of us, the union of the cosmic egg, Shiva and Shakti, at one again. And so this is what we are capable of. And in that moment, I knew that this is what I was meant to do in this lifetime and, hmm. and never turned back from that moment. And it's, it's, it's a way of experiencing life that is so loving and brilliant and mystical, but also practical. You know, I have a feeling that all the things we hear about building pyramids and bilocating and levitating, and that those are accessible when we access these states and we access them in lovemaking. Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah. So you, I'm so curious about your journey from, from the moment of this deep awakening with your lover to now this just powerful, radiant teacher that is, is bringing all of these, these teachings and, and holding space and, and creating these experiences for people like me to, to deepen our own practice. Like, can you, can you help us understand how you went from <laughs> this kind of <laughs> innocent surprise, delightful opening to where you are today. Yeah, it's sort of like the ultimate ideal success story. You know, here I am in bed and I realize my <laughs> career. <laughs> I'm like, this is it. This is what I'm meant to do. I was I was 31 years old. So I was relatively young and here it was. I knew in that moment, this is the whole reason I'm on the planet. This is the only thing I want to do and pursue. But I didn't know what it was, Luke. So here's what happened next. So the man is Colombian, right? He's Catholic. I shared with him after the lovemaking experience. Oh, babe, I saw the angel in you. I saw like, oh, it was so divine. And he said, nope, I don't ever want to hear you talk about this. God and sex don't go together. So I shut down. I shut down because I wanted to stay with him. And I thought maybe I was a little bit crazy. So I was 31. I wanted to get married. I wanted to do the thing, right? But lucky for me, the Air Force was looking for Hispanic males to fly of 16. So they contacted him, took him away to somewhere. I didn't know where. He ended the relationship. I was bereft. Here's this best lover. I had this cosmic experience. Now he's gone and he doesn't want me. And I was looking through the LA Weekly. We're very resilient when we're 31. I'm looking through <laughs> the LA Weekly, which is this calendar of events. And I found a tiny little business card sized ad. It said, the art of sexual magic. If it would have said Tantra, I would have turned the page because I didn't know what Tantra was, but I knew what sex and magic were. So I sent away for the brochure. This was back in the day before the internet. I got the brochure. I read about myself. Everything on the brochure was, ex was describing my experience, which I had been having since I was 27 or so. And then I went to the workshop. And in the first workshop, I met Margot Anand, who wrote The Art of Sexual Ecstasy. She's amazing, genius, brilliant teacher. I love her. And People were asking me how to do the practices. I was in the practices. I was living it up. I was having like the ecstasy, you know, the ecstatic time of my life and embracing my sexuality. And people actually came up to me and said, how do you do that? How did you, how did you reach that state? So it just started to happen. And I started to teach 
because I wanted people to experience Tantra with. It was still very new. I didn't have anyone. So I would teach just so I could have community. And then it snowballed into teaching internationally, teaching teachers to teach, coaching, like it's just, it's just been such a gift and I've never questioned it. Like in all these 30 years, it's just one step in front of the other to becoming really, and also for me, it's very important. Like I bring together the spiritual, but also the practical. I'm a scientist. I love, I went to University of California, Davis. I study science. So I bring the science piece in and I really love making these mystical practices very palatable for mainstream people. Most of my clients are in the business world or in the finance world. And, and I, I love bringing the mysticism together with, you know, with the world. Mm, amazing. And you also, I know you, you and I talked a few years ago about maybe doing a pilgrimage through India. That's part of your offerings as well. Yes. I'd love to just Absolutely. hear a little bit about that. I was so fortunate. So this is like life just keeps giving me step after step. So first, Margot had an, introduced me to Osho, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who did a huge amount of work re really talking about how important Tantra was to world peace, basically. And then, but Osho was not a guru. Osho was a master teacher, but he was not a guru. And then years later, my yoga instructor said, we're going to India. We're going to meet a tantric guru. I knew I had to go. I went to India. I met a tantric guru and then was so grateful to be initiated into the Shravidya tantric path. And so that was where I started to learn the more esoteric practices and the, the, the rooted practices. And so in India, when I go to India now, I go to both. I go to Osho's ashram, which is world music and meditation and so beautiful and so expansive, so modern. And I go to Devi Puram in Andhra Pradesh. And I sit with my teachers who are exquisite women. All of my teachers are these amazing women priests, and they're teaching me the Shravidya, like the Shravidya practices, and really living in a tantric temple. And so again, it's the tantric temple, then the sexuality is not what people would think. It's not, we're not having sex in these practices. We're actually honoring the deities and making offerings and awakening these ecstatic ecstatic pathways so that we're accessing, you know, my guru who is no longer the body, but he's a PhD in nuclear physics. So this man said, it's about everyone being happy. Mm. Mm. Be happy. These very, <laughs> very complex practices that are so beautiful. Mm. It's like going back in time, Luke, and India is a different world. Mm. You got to come. You gotta yeah. Come. Yeah. I'd love to. And if people as we begin to wrap up here, if people want to practice with you, want to have the experience that I had on that rooftop, I know you're not doing it on the rooftop anymore, but <laughs> on the rooftop, you described where can people find you? People can find me at dawncartwright.com. Hmm. Yeah, it's just my name.com. And they'll see my schedule of events. And I've got a couple of things coming up pretty soon. So it'd be great to have people there. Wonderful. Dawn Cartwright, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you, Luke. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us 
grow our crazy wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy. 